One of the ways that I like to think about our Dharma practice is that we practice so that we can develop our potential, our potential as human beings. Uh, I think that's one of the ways that I consider my practice is that I wanna, I wanna make the most out of this human life. I want to develop my potential uh, as a human being. Uh, I would often hear, uh, you know, as I was in my schooling that uh, most people don't make the most of their lives or they don't live up to their human potential, that as human beings we have great potential but we don't uh, necessarily live up to it. And that was always something that really interested me. I always had that sense that uh, I wanted to explore what my potential was uh, and see if I could, I could uh, reach it. It was really what the Buddha was, uh, was concerned with. He had a pretty good life, but he said, you know, as a human being, I really feel like I could be doing more than what I'm doing. I have a lot of material things. I have status as a, as a young prince. I have a family. Uh, but he had a sense that as a human being, he had a greater potential. And really, of course, it was a potential for a greater happiness, uh, the, the kind of potential that we're seeking to uh, develop as Dharma students has to do with uh, our capacity as human beings to know uh, happiness, a greater happiness. Uh, so we can, it's a good way to think about our Dharma practice is that we're, we're seeking to develop our potential and to make the most out of uh, the gifts that we've been given as a human being. You know, we've been given these gifts, uh, these potentials what we're seeking to do is to develop these gifts, develop these potentials to make the most of these gifts. And, and this is what gives our lives meaning. So as Dharma students, we practice certain skills in the service of developing our potential. Uh, so, you know, the potential is uh, that we have as human beings, we could say is latent, we have a, a natural ability, but it has to be developed. And we, do, we, we, we practice certain skills to develop uh, our, our, our natural ability. It's just like an athlete. Uh, uh, you know, you could have athletic ability, but if you don't practice uh, and train, you're not going to make the most out of that ability. Uh, it's the same thing for us as Dharma students. Uh, we have potential as human beings. As human beings, we have this great potential. Uh, but it just isn't going to shine naturally. It's not going to shine naturally. It has to be developed. We actually have potential as human beings to do lots of terrible things. Uh, just turn on the news and you see those things. Uh, and, and look at the world and you see the things that people do because, uh, because they have a potential for bringing about suffering for themselves and others and doing all kinds of terrible things. You know, we have potential to do good, we have potential to cause suffering, we have potential for great suffering, we have potential for great happiness, great happiness, extraordinary happiness. As human beings, as Dharma students, we're seeking to develop that potential. Uh, but it's just not going to happen naturally. Uh, this is one of the things that uh, Tennis Rubiku often talks about that our basic goodness, uh, just the fact that we have an inherent goodness isn't enough. Uh, we have to develop that goodness. The Buddha said, you know, that we, that we have a heart that's luminous and that shines, uh, but it's often covered over with what we, we call the defilements or it's stained, the heart is stained 
you know, it's stained by aversion and desire, those roots of suffering. So we have to develop certain skills so that we can uh, make the most of our potential. So this is very important to kind of understand about, about the Buddha's principles, is that we're just not naturally going to be in a state in which our goodness flourishes. We have to work to develop the potential for that goodness. So one of the very key elements, and really it's sort of a pivotal, if we think of this word, pivotal element uh, of our goodness, of our potential, uh, one of the great potentials that we have is, uh, is equanimity, the quality of equanimity. Uh, so we have a, a great potential for equanimity. Uh, we have to develop that, and if we can develop equanimity, it really enables us to uh, develop these other great potentials that we have. So equanimity in and of itself is uh, a key element of our potential, and it, it's pivotal because it enables us to uh, further develop our potentials as human beings in terms of knowing a greater happiness. So equanimity is this quality of even-mindedness, uh, even-temperedness. Uh, the mind stays even-keeled regardless of the circumstance, whatever the circumstances are. So, uh, you know, the way the Buddha positions equanimity in his teachings really speaks to its pivotal nature. It's one of the ten paramis. It's actually usually considered the culminating parami. It's one of the four basic jhana qualities. It's actually considered the culminating jhana quality. It's one of the four sublime abidings, and it's one of the seven factors of awakening. It's actually the seventh factor of awakening, the culminating factor of awakening, factor for awakening that leads to awakening. So, uh, you know, the Buddha is really clear in his teachings that the development of equanimity is pivotal. The Buddha, of course, himself was the, the, the emblem of equanimity. When we want to have a picture of equanimity, just look at the picture of the Buddha or the statues of the Buddha. You know, the Buddha is, is you know, uh, uh, according to the the lore, you know, the Buddha is, in most of those statues, sitting, of course, like a Buddha, uh, very still and calm, and he's being assailed by Mara. The armies of Mara, of greed, hatred, and delusion, are assailing him, and he's just keeping his spot. You know, I always like to say, you know, the, you know, the Buddha's not, like, off balance in the statues. You know, there's not, like, the Buddha on one foot, twisted and turned to the side statue. No, there's always the Buddha uh, in an extremely solid and steady posture, imperturbable, imperturbable. Uh, so uh, you know, the thing about that quality that the Buddha emblemizes in those statues is he really worked hard to get there. You know, He really worked hard to get to that place of equanimity. Uh, he practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. They said nobody practiced like the Buddha to get to that stage where he had access to his potential in terms of his equanimity, his imperturbability. And of course, in those statues, it's said that he's practicing breath meditation. You know, breath meditation is the primary skill that we develop in the service of cultivating equanimity. So the Buddha developed this skill 
Just like all of our potential, it has to be developed. And we develop equanimity largely through mindfulness of breathing and then putting it to good use, uh, putting it to good use. So we develop these, this quality of equanimity and concentration, but it's like any good quality that we, 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 we develop, then we put it to good use. We put it to good use. Uh, in terms of being able to meet our human experience, we learn to maintain it uh, and put it to good use. And in terms of being able to reach uh, the, the, the greatest levels of our potential, we put our equanimity to good use. So uh, I like to talk about these four basic steps of when equini uh, of de for developing equanimity. I'll put these in the, these will be in the notes. Uh, many of you know these steps, of four steps. Uh, the first step you, we could think of as recognizing when equanimity is called for. So when there's any kind of disruption, if there's change. I mean, change is a good, uh, is a good frame uh, for understanding when we need to develop equanimity, when we're going through change. And of course, we're always going through change. You know, we're always going through change, so equanimity is such a, a key quality to have as human beings going through this human experience, which is subject every day and every moment to change. Uh, the Buddha characterized uh, the vicissitudes of change as pleasure and pain, gain and loss, status and disrepute, praise and blame. We've all gone through a lot of change in our lives in the last few years uh, with the pandemic. Uh, you know, and then there's those day-to-day, moment-to-moment experiences of change and disruption that we go through, just like this morning for myself, you know? Uh, you know, uh, not realizing that the time had changed and people had checked in an hour before I checked in for the class. And, uh, you know, what was really called for then was equanimity, was equanimity. So it was a good thing I was knew I was going to give a talk and had been working on a talk on it. So I was easily reminded to, uh, to uh, that I was in a situation that required equanimity. So first you recognize that you're in a situation that requires equanimity. And the second step is to what I call bring insight. Insight is, rec equanimity is rooted in insight. And the insight is basically uh, the change is part of life. Disruption is part of life. You know, uh, as human beings, we make mistakes. I forgot to check and see if the, there was a time change. I didn't know that. Well, that's just part of my human experience of being uh, imperfect, if you will. So uh, the heart understands that. The mind says, no, how could you make that mistake? How dumb could you be? The heart says, you're a human being. You know? Understands. Uh, this understanding is in the heart. It's part of equanimity. It's the part of equanimity uh, that we find in the sublime abidings. So we bring in this insight. This is the way things are in life. There's pleasure and pain, gain and loss, status and disrepute, praise and blame. This is the way it is in this life. There's ups and downs. There's change. There's difficulty. So... Uh, so, you know, we develop this understanding in the heart just by reminding ourselves of that. And then the third step is a very interesting step. It's really kind of the step that I wanted to focus in on a little bit today is inclining to equanimity, 
so we actually incline to that quality. It's actually a quality uh, that we're able to incline to and have a felt sense of. And then we, the fourth step is to keep the mind centered on the breath so we can maintain uh, that state of equanimity uh, and further develop it by staying with the breath. So I want to focus a little bit on this third step of inclining to equanimity, inclining to the quality of equanimity, uh, because you know that step may seem somewhat abstract to us. Or again, we may think that, well, if I work on my meditation, I'm developing equanimity, I'm developing the heart, I'm developing insight, I'm developing equanimity, uh, and then sort of the equanimity will simply be there. Well, yeah, to some extent that's true, but if we learn to put our minds on it and incline to it, we further develop it and we're able to, to use it to a greater extent. So it's like Ajahn Chah would say of this, all the good qualities. If you incline to them, it's a cause for their re-arising. Uh, so, uh, you know, we have this quality. Uh, it has to be developed. We develop it largely, as I said, through breath meditation. And uh, we're able to incline to it and actually have a felt sense of it to the degree that we've developed it in the meditation. But we want to learn, you know, it's sort of like uh, we've developed it, but we have to, we have to incline to it. Uh, we may have, have it, and we all have it to some extent, in the degree to which we've practiced, we have it. Uh, it's there, but we may not incline to it. We tend not to incline to it and not to utilize it. It's like if you have a, a, you know, a, a nice warm winter coat on a, on a cold day like today, you know, 29 degrees according to my, my little thermometer on my computer here. Uh, you know, uh, the coat will really keep you nice and warm if you go outside, but if you don't open the closet and take out the coat and put it on, it's not going to be of much use to you. you know? So it's kind of like that with equanimity. Uh, you have to you have to be proactive in taking the coat out of the closet and putting it on. Yeah. Uh, it's actually kind of a good metaphor because it's one of the ways the Buddha describes the felt sense of equanimity in his description of the jhana qualities. Uh, he describes the felt the felt sense of equanimity, just as if a man were sitting wrapped from head to foot with a white cloth, so that there would be no part of his body to which the white cloth did not extend. Even so, the monk sits, permeating his body with a pure, bright awareness. There is nothing of his entire body unpervaded by a pure, bright awareness. So the Buddha uses this metaphor of the white cloth that's, uh, that it, it we're wrapped in from head to foot to describe this quality of equanimity, what it actually feels like felt sense, because what we want to learn to do is incline to this felt sense of equanimity. But uh, that's something that we have to be proactive in terms of doing. So we learn to incline to this quality, this quality of composure, of evenness. Another metaphor the Buddha used uh, in terms of teaching, uh, teaching his son, actually, he said, Rahula, you know, have a mind like the earth. Practice meditation with a mind like the earth. Uh, as he said, uh, 
when you're developing your meditation in tune with the earth, agreeable and disagreeable sensory impressions that have arisen will not stay in charge of your mind. Just as when people throw what is unclean or clean on the earth, feces, urine, saliva, pus, or blood, sounds like a, a day in the life, uh, the earth is not horrified, humiliated, or disgusted by it. In the same way, when you're developing the meditation in tune with the earth, agreeable and disagreeable sensory impressions that have arisen will not stay in charge of your mind. You maintain this evenness and this composure regardless of what the circumstances are. So those, those analogies kind of give you a sense of the felt sense of equanimity. But it's a quality that we have to learn to incline to. So even like right now as you're listening, you could just say to yourself, let me incline. And the way you incline to the quality is through fabrication and then guiding your attention to a felt sense of, of equanimity. Uh, so you could even practice with it right now. Let me experience this quality of equanimity, evenness, composure. So, you know, that's something that takes a little bit of practice, but over time, over time, more and more, you're able to incline to it. That's one of the Buddha's marks of concentration, is that it becomes readily accessible to you in all postures. So even when you commit a blunder like I did this morning, uh, you know, I can generally incline to a quality of equanimity, or when we make a mistake, or when we go through change, or when we're sick and aging and dying, equanimity is available to us. But again, it's like that coat that's available to us in the closet, we have to incline to it. We tend to incline to other stuff, right? You know, you, you commit an error or you go through something that's difficult and we incline to fear and agitation and worry and then maybe desire for a sense pleasure to take us out of our pain. You know, our happiness depends on what we do. So we learn to incline to uh, equanimity when there's change, when there's difficulty, when we're going through pleasure and pain, gain and loss, status and praise, uh, status and disrepute, praise and blame. So we develop this potential. We develop this our potential for equanimity. We learn to incline to it. We learn to incline to it. Now, in and of itself, it's it's it, it, it you know it, there's a there's a quality of, of ease with equanimity uh, in and of itself. Uh, it, it sort of, it's not, you know, there's, pleasure is the wrong word. It's a quality of contentedness, equanimity. It's a quality of contentedness with where you are right now in any moment. Uh, uh, but in and of itself, equanimity is not the goal. It's not the goal, as I said at the outset of this talk but it's necessary to reach the goal. The goal is, is true happiness. The goal is true happiness. Uh, uh, happiness, true happiness comes when we act with wisdom, compassion, and loving kindness. Happiness comes when we act with love, but in order to be able to understand what it is that we need to do that's going to comprise action that's informed by love, and in order to be able to take those actions and to transcend our fears uh, and the things that get in the way and the ups and downs that, that face us as we're taking these actions that are informed by love, in order to be able to take actions informed by love, we have to have equanimity. 
we have to have equanimity. So equanimity puts us in position to take action that's informed by the heart, that's wholehearted, that's informed with love. Equanimity puts us in position to fulfill our human potential. So let's just close our eyes just for a second.